in the squadron. They called him Bullets, but we call him Greg Kelly. Greg Kelly is on the air on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hey, when when did the song Cindy Lauper? She came out with the song "Girls Just Want to Have Fun." What is that? Forty years old? Think about it. Nineteen eighty three, nineteen eighty four, something like that. I just heard it in the lobby. I just heard it coming in the lobby. Girls just want to have fun. I notice every single doctor's office, dentist's office, they're all playing 80s. Some of these songs, early 1980s. Uh, so that's 40 years ago. And right now, uh, well, back then, were we listening to music from the 1940s? Were we? Or the 1930s? So let's see. When was uh, when did that uh, Cindy Lauper song come out? And we'll just want to have fun. It came out in 1980, shoot, where is it? 1983, 30, 39 years ago, 39 years ago. What was, not, what was 39 years before um, 1983? Let's see, that would be uh, 1944, 1944. In 1983, when we were walking around, uh, going to the dentist, going to... Were we listening to Glenn Miller? I mean, were we listening to that da 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 da? No, we weren't. Something has happened. Music has plateaued. I think Paul McCartney said there are only so many notes, and there's only so many things you can do with those notes. I mean, you can do a lot of things. You can probably do about a trillion things, but we've done all the trillion things, and now we're repeating all the time. I think that's interesting. It's just, and there's something about the synthesizer. Maybe you can do so much, but we have plateaued. We have plateaued musically. We have plateaued culturally. In some ways, we're taking giant steps back. And this silly phone, I told you guys I deleted Instagram. I did. I am now on my phone slightly less than I used to be before. One of the reasons why there are so many screw-ups, so many things are going wrong. I mean, I even blame this. You know, we were supposed, weren't we supposed to launch that rocket about two weeks ago to go up to the moon? You notice we couldn't quite pull it off. Something we were doing successfully in 1968, 1969, 1970, 1971, 72. We can't get our act together and do it again. Why the hell not? I'll tell you why. One of the big reasons is we are now spending trillions of hours on nothing, on doing absolutely nothing. On that phone, consuming crap all day long. And it knows it knows what I like. It knows. I told you it knows that I like I like watches. I like architecture. And yes, I like pretty girls. And a message to you, pretty girls out there, wearing your silly bathing suits all over the time, trying to pretend you're a Kardashian. I'm sorry, ladies. There are only so many billionaires out there. Okay, there are what? How many billionaires are there in the world? Four hundred. How many beautiful women are there? Four hundred million, at least eight hundred million, a billion. There are just not enough of them to go around. I think that every single one, sorry, a lot, and some dudes too, it's some sort of weird audition tape. Uh, you know, you too can fry, fly on a billionaire's private jet. If he spots you on Instagram, who knows what can happen next. And uh, it's it's part of its human nature, you know, something for nothing, all that stuff. I think uh, we got to get to work. We got to work hard. You got to work hard. You got to bring something to the to the table. And that's why I love people like, well, Donald Trump, he brought world-class expertise to the job. He knew something. And that's why I have utter contempt for guys like Joe Biden, who knows nothing other than that big, silly, goofy smile, asking for favors, raising money. All right. 
Rand Paul comes to mind. Rand Paul is an ophthalmologist. He's a senator from Kentucky. He's a bit of a libertarian. He's uh, but he's great. He's a patriot, and he brought expertise to the office. He had enough money. He had all that stuff, and now he wants to give back. He's one of the few people who's equipped to call out Dr. Fauci. Listen to him how he does it, and then Fauci's. Fauci's still out there. He still has the job. I know he's he wants to retire before the Republicans take over. Oh, boy. Because, well, Paul, Rand Paul has put him on notice again. Cut 26. We've been asking you, and you refuse to answer, whether anybody on the vaccine committees gets royalties from the pharmaceutical companies. I asked you last time, and what was your response? We don't have to tell you. Right. We've demanded them through Freedom of Information Act. And what have you said? We're not going to tell you. But I tell you this, when we get in charge, we're going to change the rules and you will have to divulge where you get your royalties from, from what companies. And if anybody in the committee has a conflict of interest, we're going to learn about it. I promise you that. All right. Now, he wants to know if Dr. Fauci is earning royalties. People are earning royalties. This is a direct question. I heard it. You heard it. Listen to Fauci. Listen to how he gets all bureaucratic, very, very weird. And he literally, you can't see this, but he takes his arms, he points, he points, on, he points to the left, he points to the right. It's them, not me. Cut 27. You keep saying, you approve, you do this, you do that. The committees that give our FDA through their advisory committee recommend our CDC through their advisory committee. Briefly, you keep yes. asking committees they're not my committees. They're the VERPAC committee for the FDA and the ACIP for the CDC. So I don't have any idea what goes on. And they with won't the... reveal, as well as you, won't reveal. Okay, what we're going we're gonna to move on. We're over time. The ADCP for the CDC. Ask them. What a bureaucrat. What a bureaucrat. He is the nation's top infectious disease specialist. No, he's not. He's a bureaucrat. He's a government employee going back to 1978. This is what he does. Talk to that committee. No, I really did not offer any kind of... Why did they say he was the number one scientist? Remember, if you don't agree with Dr. Fauci, you don't agree with the science. I heard a great point the other day. You know, everybody is saying, trust the science, the science, as if the science says one thing, Right. You get brilliant guys, brilliant Nobel laureates sometimes disagree with each other. But uh, when it comes to the science, and aren't we talking about abortion a bit more than usual lately? What about the science as to whether or not it's a baby uh, one day before the ninth month? Is that a human being? Could we have science weigh in on that? I remember in the 80s, they used to have that discussion. Is it a life or not? Remember? it? What, what constitutes life? Can it? it what is it? What what is it technically life? They actually explore that in the public square, scientifically as well. Now it's just all about the hysterical women and those silly pink hats and uh, a protest outside of Kavanaugh's house. Oh, we're going to take back the Senate. Don't listen to Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell, the American people, right? Uh, listen to this. Why is he doing this? Why is he bad mouthing? Uh, candidates who are running right now for the United States Senate. He's supposed to be their cheerleader. He's supposed to also be working aggressively behind the scenes. Instead, he's bad-mouthing these candidates because most of them were appointed by Donald Trump. I think the American people will ultimately turn away from Trump. Cut 28, please. Care to share any of your projections on the midterm elections? 
Yeah, I think that the, there's a, probably a greater likelihood the House flips than the Senate. Senate races are just different. They're statewide. Uh, candidate quality has a lot to do with the outcome. Stop. Candidate quality has a lot to do with the outcome. The American people. What, that is a slam on Trump. He doesn't like Trump. It's personal. He hates Trump more than he loves America. And that's what it's true for a lot of Republicans, just about every single Democrat. Uh, they hate Trump more than they love America. And there's been so much bad mouthing of these Senate candidates, even though they are superstars, absolute superstars who are poised to win dramatically. And you can help. Those little $10 checks we've been talking about, $10, $20, $50, whatever you can do, tell Mitch McConnell to get lost. He thinks he's so important because he's got a lot of money. He does. That senatorial campaign committee, you know, he spreads the wealth or doesn't. You can be more important. You are more connected, actually, than Mitch McConnell. I, every time I turn on the TV, they're telling me how bad Herschel Walker is. Oh, really? What's wrong with Herschel Walker? Okay, he doesn't speak in sound bites. All right? He hasn't been practicing phony smiles like Joe Biden for the past 50 years. He's actually been earning a spectacular living through his phenomenal athletic ability and charisma uh, on and off the field. And now he wants to give back. We could use somebody like Herschel Walker, 12 seasons in the NFL. Didn't he win a Heisman Trophy, all that stuff? And why? Well, what what does that have to do with Congress? Well, I notice every time Roger Goodell shows up on Capitol Hill, he runs circles around those guys. And, oh, by the way, exploits the hell out of his players. Oh, yeah. All right. So here's Herschel. Herschel Walker, and I think he's going to clean the clock of uh, Raphael Warnock down there. Who? Uh, what does he do? What does he bring to the table? He's a he's got a PhD in philosophy. Yeah, that's um, <laughs> how, uh, uh, I, I guess Raphael Warnock really needs the job. <laughs> that's that's what that's why he's running. Can I hear a little bit of Herschel Walker? This is from the 2020 RNC. Go 29. His action speaks louder than stickers or slogans on a jersey. He keeps right on fighting to improve the lives of Black Americans and all Americans. He worked night and day. He never stops. He leaves nothing on the field. Some people don't like his style, the way he knocks down obstacles that get in the way of his goals. People on the opposing team didn't like when I ran over them either, but that's how you get the job done. I pray every night that God gives him more time. Give him four more years. He has accomplished so much almost all by himself on a constant attack, but there's still more work to be done if you love America and want to make it better, Donald Trump is your president. He's my president, and I'm blessed to call him friend. I love it. You know, we don't need – I mean, who do you want, that guy? Well, you want Mitch McConnell, who is really not talking to you. He's talking to various millionaires around the country who pretend they represent the American people, but they really just represent their own parochial uh, profiteering interests. I think I think that's a pretty damn good Mitch McConnell, by the way. Um, we got to uh, support Herschel Walker in Georgia. We got to support uh, uh, J.D. Vance in Ohio. J.D. Vance in Ohio. You know what I like? One of the things I like about him is he's a United States Marine. He doesn't bang you over the head with that. 
venture capitalist, wrote that hillbilly elegy book, which changed politics, actually, in many ways. Uh, he's great. Tim Ryan, his uh, swamp character opponent, one of those career politicians who started, you know, I am, I'm sorry, I'm suspicious about most of these guys who start running for office when they're 20-something. It's too early. It shows you, to me, I think it's too early. You haven't even bought a house, most likely. You don't know what the hell's going on when you're 25. You're still figuring things out. You just can't be dictating my life. Some 25-year-old is going to dictate you to you what you should do, going to write laws that you have to follow. A 25-year-old, AOC, by the way, who I understand, (laughs) AOC, one thing, one good thing that has emerged with her overexposure, she has been overexposed. Remember film that gets overexposed? It gets ruined. Anyway, everybody has taken a good look at her, her hysterical antics. She will just be a member of Congress for, uh, for as long as she wants. And then, who knows, whatever is on TV in 20 years, uh, the, the equivalent of The View might even still be around. But she's not going to be a force. That, I feel very, very confident. That it'll look like that. Social media spectacle, sure. But not real power. I'll be right back. Greg Kelly, Greg Kelly. on the Red Apple Podcast Network. So there's not going to be a railroad strike. That's good. Uh, railroad companies and unions have reached a tentative deal to avoid a strike. Now, the federal government had a big role in this, and uh, I just wonder. I mean, wow, I haven't heard of this kind of pay increase in a long time. Uh, Let's see. Freight rail companies and unions representing their workers reached a tentative agreement to avoid a strike. Multiple news outlets reported uh, the five-year deal, which is retroactive to 2020 and includes 24% raises and $5,000 in bonuses, comes after hours of talks brokered by the Biden administration to avoid a strike that could have negatively impacted food and fuel supplies globally. Well, uh, good, no strike. I did hear this, though, that Joe Biden was on the call and he said, basically, we cannot not have an agreement. We need an agreement. And that's what Democrats always do when it comes to negotiating. Most of them have never negotiated anything in the real world. So it's like John Kerry when he was over there in Switzerland negotiating the Iran nuclear deal. <laughs> he wanted the one time he goes into the room, he says, I cannot leave this room without an agreement. I mean, that just telegraphs to your adversary that your adversary is going to win. OK, I understand you can't leave this room without. Well, I can. I can walk away so I can get whatever the hell I want from you. You can't leave the room? Fine. I'll take this, 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 and this, and this, and this, and that. 24%. That sounds like one hell of a raise. Look, I'm glad for the workers, but um, I just, I'm no, uh, look, I'm no arms negotiator. I'm no Donald Trump, but I do know you're not supposed to say that. And he did in front of all the participants. There must be a deal. And uh, I think that sent a signal possibly, hey, here's one of the greatest guys out there right now. He's very controversial, but you know what? He's uh, he's a force for good. His techniques sometimes may horrify you, but I like him. His name is Alex Stein. Have you heard about him? Uh, what is he? Who does he work for? I think he might work for the Blaze. I'm not exactly sure who he is or where he came from. He's part comedian, part you know, brilliant citizen sticking up for people. And he confront. what he does is he confronts uh, lately, lawmakers with a camera, everybody from AOC to Dan Crenshaw, 
So you got a, you know, you got a Democrat far left wing. You got Dan Crenshaw, who's a Republican. He's upset with Dan. Now, look, I like Dan Crenshaw. He did some amazing things in the military. But that doesn't mean you're off the hook. That doesn't mean we let you just govern us any way you choose because you served in the military. I served in the military. You know, I don't expect my boss to thank me for my service every single day or I can do whatever the hell I want because I served in the military. And he's he's a representative. He works for the people. It does. It, that's what they forget. And these lawmakers, they don't have any fear these days of the traditional media. They just don't. They don't have the attention span. They don't have the wherewithal. They don't have the resources. And when they do actually go after lawmakers, it's usually for something stupid, you know, abusing an expense report or something like that, which you're not supposed to do. But what about the real stuff that's going on? I mean, what about all that money we just handed over to Ukraine? Why do we hand over all that money to Ukraine? Because President Zelensky looked good in that shirt, that T-shirt? I'm sorry, but big countries have been invading small countries right next door to them for a long time. It has always happened. It will probably always will happen. I wish it wouldn't. Does it involve us? Does it sending our treasure, our money all the way over there? And it's probably being misused. So anyway, Alex Stein, this guy, he's he confronts Dan Crenshaw in a brutal way. Brutally honest, maybe. Cut 18, please. Yeah, I'm a loser. Wait a second. No, 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 no. I want to take it from the top top. That's like mid-argument. Let's see if we can. I think this one might be longer. Try cut 19 first. You are the modern-day He cares more about Ukraine than he does about America. So you're a globalist. Why don't you take care of America? You don't care. That's your problem, Dan. You don't care about America. You don't care about Texas. Look at our. Do you, do you think there's an you invasion? Comedian, is there an invasion you? on our border you used right to be a comedian, now? Is there an invasion on our border right well, now? Maybe you should go back. I to still that, am buddy. a comedian. Is there an invasion on our border? Will you admit that there's an invasion on our border? Invasion on our border. You won't do anything about it. But why do you give eighty billion to Ukraine? Why do you give eighty billion to Ukraine? Uh, I think you're doing the numbers wrong there, buddy. Oh, what are we at? A hundred billion now? No, it's not even close. What, oh, what are we up to now, Dan? And they even say none of those weapons even go to the front lines. So why don't you start caring about America? You don't care about America at all, Dan. You're a globalist. You're a traitor. You're a dwarf. There's Dan Coons. Come on. Come on, Dan. Modern day version of the people. Oh, I'm a piece. You're the one that's a globalist. You're killing young children for no reason, sending them to war for nothing. Wow. Wow. Um, all right, <laughs> man, you know, there was one point where if you served in the military, it was hands off. Nobody could ever question you. All right. I mean, like, no, uh, liberal Democrats did it all the time, but here you got this guy taking him on. He's a war hero. That's great. That does not. What about today? You know, the only urgency I'm hearing about the border is from <laughs> Mark Levin, this guy, a handful of others. So many people are just keeping their heads down, going with the flow. Why? Nobody wants to jeopardize their income, their livelihood. Nobody wants federal prosecutors hassling them. Good for Alex Stein. And you know what? I don't like, I'm getting a little bit sick of the veteran card. I am. I say that as a veteran. What, What are you doing today? Today. 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 What movie is that? Goodfellas. Today. Today. All right, pal, you got it. No problem. Um, we have a little bit more of this, and this is this is this gets me. He 
Crenshaw is trying to rile up a group of veterans, turning him on Alex Stein. Again, when I first saw this, I was borderline appalled, but basically this is a win for Alex Stein. I'm sorry, it is. Cut, uh, what's the other one? Cut 18. Yeah, I'm a loser. This is the guy. This is the guy who tells veterans that their that their service. Yeah, was yeah, because those are weapons of mass destruction that didn't yeah, so exist. I'm anti-war. Yeah. Yeah, I'm anti-war because he's I don't believe. This, did you guys find any weapons right of mass now. destruction? As a matter of fact, yeah. we did. Oh, where was? Oh, what weapons of mass destruction? This guy. You're actually going to go down this route, Alex. Yeah, because we don't you're have act, any weapons of looking, mass destruction. You're looking like a fool right Dude, now. I'm you're the telling fool. veterans, you're the one that's giving not more just money me, to Ukraine. but plenty we have of veterans. We have you're so many issues here veterans. in America. He cares more about Ukraine. Yeah, you're it disgusting. was. You guys service was wasted. You're disgusting. You are the modern day version. Oh, I'm the modern day version. You worry more about Ukraine than our. Hey. I like it. And oh, by the way, no weapons of mass destruction were found over there, okay? I'm not, I don't want to hear about those silly cans of yellow cake or gas or whatever it was, mustard gas from the Iran Iraq war. That's not what we were looking for. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hey, people are noticing. People are noticing a new slim Greg Kelly. I've gotten two comments so far today. Today. What's going on with you? You're losing weight. I am. And you know what? Uh, I think I have found the holy grail of weight loss. The holy grail is this, intermittent fasting, which is a basically a fancy way of saying don't eat breakfast. So I don't eat until noon at the earliest. Sometimes twice this week I ate at 11, 11 a.m., which to me, because I was in the military, not to play the veteran card again, but... Lunchtime started at 11 a.m. It was a chow, whatever the hell we called it, uh, 1100 to 1300. It was a two hour window. You wouldn't take two hour breaks. Some guys did, by the way. And it always bothered me, to be honest. You know, we actually had a lot to do. And to go away. Oh, what, what, what a lot of guys would do is PT. They'd exercise for two hours. I probably should have taken advantage of that. Uh, but not that you know, I was never a gym rat, so I didn't. Anyway. I'm not eating until lunch, and then come 6 p.m., I'm done eating. Nothing after 6 o'clock, 6 p.m., that's it. And I've been really strict about that. So you've got to wait about 18 hours before you eat again. And I think, and are you crazy hungry? Not really, actually. Not really. And I'm drinking a a lot of black coffee, which which helps a lot, and... uh, Anyway, I think I, who knows? We'll see what happens. Um, in the meantime, oh, Eric Adams. Oh, boy, what an amateur. I'm seeing, oh, you know what he did last night again? He goes to Fashion Week. He's going to Fashion Week. Like, dude, didn't you didn't you experiment with that, like, in 2005? I went to Fashion Week in 2006, all right? I, I know what it's like to sit there and to meet Anna Wintour and to go to the parties and to look at models. It's not... It's it's really not interesting. It gets old real quick. There's not it's just it's just not all that. This guy, he's still pinching himself that he's a mayor and he's getting invited to these dumb things, yet he can't handle his day job. He's overwhelmed. He's overwhelmed. You know what do they say here? The city, our city is at the breaking point, not because of the crime, not because of uh homeless people all over the place. You know what is at the what what why we're at the breaking point in his opinion because of all the migrants that Governor Abbott has sent New York, all those migrants that Governor that's why we're at the breaking point. Hmm, I don't think so. And oh, by the way, weren't you the one who advertised what a 
What do they say? We're a sanctuary city. We're a sanctuary city. That's what we are, right? We're going to take everybody. Take everybody. No, we're not. It's a bad idea. But uh, By the way, I, I admire these uh, guys, like Governor DeSantis, sending them to Martha's Vineyard. Abbott, I think, sent a load of them to uh, Vice President Harris's house. The Vice President of the United States gets a house. Hey, why is that, by the way? It wasn't always the case. It used to be the Vice President of the United States lived in town, had to get their own house. Up until, like, 1975 or so, the vice president lived, could have been your next door neighbor. I actually hunted down where Vice President Ford lived. He actually lived there for a week while he was president. He was on five at 514 Crown View Drive in Alexandria, Virginia. You know what it looks like? An ordinary house, okay? Three bedroom house with a garage, you know, and just an ordinary, you would never look twice. But there it was, the home of the President of the United States. I thought that was pretty cool in a way. Now, try to go see Joe Biden's house in Delaware. He's, it's a compound. Uh, it's uh, You can't get within uh, three-quarters of a mile of it. And that's the way they want it. They want to live above their subjects. I hope you saw my show last night. I broke it down how uh, I truly believe that Joe Biden wants a socialist country. And I listened to his inaugural again, his inaugural address. There's something very creepy about what he said. The first time I listened to it, I thought, okay, yeah, he's calling for unity. Yeah, sure, we all want unity. Nope, something a bit more sinister going on. First of all, listen to who he thanks. Listen to who he thanks. And keep in mind who's there, okay? Obama is there. I think Dick Cheney was there. Lots of people were there. And he does thank some of them, but not all of them. This is Joe Biden, Inauguration Day, 2021, January 20th. Cut 34, please. Chief Justice Roberts, Vice President Harris, Speaker Pelosi, Leader Schumer, Leader McConnell, Vice President Pence, my uh, distinguished guests, my fellow Americans, this is America's day. I know the resilience of our Constitution and the strength, the strength of our nation, as does President Carter, who I spoke with last night, who cannot be with us today, but whom we salute for his lifetime in service. So he thanked uh, Mitch McConnell, Nancy Pelosi, (laughs) Vice President Pence, Pence, um, Jimmy Carter, did you notice who he did not thank? He did not thank Barack Obama, who was sitting 15 feet away from him, just sitting there. Why wouldn't he mention Obama? I looked it up. Trump thanked Obama, thanked everybody, every living president, every single one of them. And George W. Bush, his enemies, he thanked his political, but for whatever reason, I have a theory, all right, because it was just becoming clear to Joe Biden what the arrangement would be with him as president, he would not get to call all the shots. So a few weeks after the election, this is November 27th of 2020, Barack Obama says something fascinating. Cut 35. If I could make an arrangement where um, I had, a, I had a, a stand-in, a front man or front woman, and, and they had an earpiece in, and I was just in my basement in my sweats mm-hmm. looking through the stuff and then I could sort of deliver the lines but somebody else was uh, doing all the talking and ceremony wow. I, I'd be fine with that 
would America be fine with that? You know, I, I do find this. I'm not. I I play this a lot because I find it. The more I look at this, the more it reveals. And they're bragging about this corrupt arrangement. One of the most sickening things about that clip, by the way, is Stephen Colbert's unctuous, sycophantic smile. You know, he's just, oh, wow, yeah, mm, no, you're so amazing, Mr. President. Oh, wow. I think he might have a thing for him. Anyway, um, I think Joe was resentful of the situation that he would not have free reign. Number one, because of his age, and number two, because he's corrupt. Uh, he's vulnerable, and he is controlled. He has a big, big, big gaping vulnerability, his son, and then his own doings. So let's see here. Oh, here's the actual part of the speech where I thought he was talking about unity the way most people understand unity, you know, getting along, being nice to each other. Well, that's part of unity, right? Cut 34. Chief Justice Roberts. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. We just played that. Where's that other one? Where's the one about the try cut 36 in another January? On New Year's Day in 1863, Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation. When he put pen to paper, the president said, and I quote, if my name ever goes down into history, it'll be for this act, and my whole soul is in it. My whole soul is in it. Today, on this January day, my whole soul is in this bringing America together, uniting our people, uniting our nation. And I ask every American to join me in this cause. So when I first heard him say that, I thought we were talking about unity the way, you know, he was looking for more peace in the country in terms of the way we treat each other. And he kind of intimated that. I listened to the speech again. Really let it sink in a bit. I think... Because, number one, we know that Joe did not do anything like that. If his whole soul was in to making us get along a little bit better, then he must have no soul, right? He has no soul because obviously he hasn't even tried. But then again, I think that he's talking about another type of unity, one that is so thoroughly un-American and disgusting, one that we want no part of, the conformity of socialism. That is is what he's actually getting at, I believe. Listen closely to what he says here next. Cut 38. We can make America once again the leading force for good in the world. I know speaking of unity can sound to some like a foolish fantasy these days. I know the forces that divide us are deep and they are real. But I also know They are not new. Our history has been a constant struggle between the American ideal that we're all are created equal and the harsh, ugly reality that racism, nativism, fear, demonization have long torn us apart. Stop. Think about that. Unity. He says unity may seem unattainable. And the forces that divide us are strong, right? The ideal that we are all created equal. The the ugly reality of demonization, of racism. 
Now, you see what's actually happening there. He's saying if you're not on his side, you must be on the other side. And what is that side? One that demonizes and racializes and is racist. You see? I really think unity is not the kumbaya type of unity that I thought he was talking about. He's talking about the unity of socialism and that his side is righteous and good and those that oppose are ugly, demonic, racist. Keep going. ...have long torn us apart. The battle is perennial and victory is never assured. Through civil war, the Great Depression, World War, 9-11, through struggle, sacrifice, and setbacks, our better angels have always prevailed. In each of these moments, enough of us, enough of us have come together to carry all of us forward. Stop. The better angels, and Lincoln talked about the better angels of our soul or our nature, right? He's saying that the better angels are those who agree with him. Unity is his side. Disunity, us. And when he says, my whole soul is in, is, is in this, unifying us, that means stamping out his enemies, who he has unfairly um, maligned as racist, demonic, enemies of the state, all that nonsense. I think that this is... Now, I, I feel like I figured him out. There was something, because I was like, well, he... He must have no soul. If his whole soul is into unifying this country and he's so not doing it, that's a real problem. Uh, let's see here. I mean, a real problem. I mean, a beyond, beyond. I mean, the country is uh, is going down the tubes strong enough. No, I mean, there so many people are scared to stand up. And the FBI going out there collecting people's cell phones. I know guys who would rather, you know, before they're going to let anybody see their cell phone would would throw it out a window, would throw it out a hundred-story window before they'd let anybody see that. That's like going into your brain. There's all kinds of stuff. That's like a that's like a chunk of your brain. The FBI just searching around, rummaging around, looking for stuff. There are people who won't sign up to do any kind of campaign work for Donald Trump. Uh, God forbid, join an administration of Donald Trump because you're going to have to hire a lawyer because they're going to come after you and try to destroy you. And this is all, in Joe Biden's eye, this is unifying the country because his side is good and our side is bad. Uh, Linda in Central PA, hi there. Hello, do you hear me? Yes. Oh, wonderful. Greg, thank you for taking my call so much. I know that you will understand where I'm coming from. Have you noticed two phrases more, more than that? where this person, Biden, President Biden, repeats, repeats the first one, which actually was said by the lawyer who was looking into the 2020 election. I'm sorry, I cannot remember her name. You do, though, where it became we the people, we the people. Also, with the Russia, Russia, he's going on and on, Russia, Russia, Russia. But I especially noticed when he is talking He's using that terminology to ingratiate himself into the people, but that's not the term they use. That was that was actually um, said over and over by that one woman lawyer on the Trump team who was looking into the 2020 and also the other ones, we the people. 
Who, Jenna Did Ellis? Uh, Jenna that? Ellis, or uh, who was that other one? Not uh, Jenna Ellis. It's the other one. Oh, Correct. yeah, the, uh, what was her name they again? The former cool. prosecutor. Well, look, here, let me tell you about We the People, what's going on with that, because I have noticed it. In fact, those were the words that they kind of used for the branding of the Democrat convention in 2020, We the People. Of course, We the People, that's for the preamble of the U.S. Constitution. But some article came out, I think it was by Malcolm Gladwell or somebody like that. It was in The New Yorker. It was somewhere. And allegedly they had a bunch of scientists and linguists, linguistic experts study the language and they determined that the most powerful words in the English language were three. We the people. All right. So when you start throwing that around, you can get what you want. It was it's some sort of, you know, uh, nouveau science stuff. I, we the people. I know it from the first line of the Constitution. You can't co-opt that and get people to do things you want by throwing that phrase around. Does that make sense? I believe that's where it came from. I noticed it myself, especially during the 2020 convention. And every day when I am forced to, to look at this person. And the other thing is he keeps throwing that on Russia, Russia, Russia. And he always, always says that, those two terms. Does he say Russia, Russia, Russia? I know Trump yes, says Russia, does. Russia, Russia. Yes, I mean, he does. no, I think it's more, I, uh, I think, it, I mean, look, Trump, I mean, Russia, 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 that's, Trump says that, and, and he's complaining, and he's genuinely complaining, rightfully complaining that, by the way, there was, Excuse me. FBI collusion with Russia. FBI collusion with Russia to influence an election. We'll have more on that when I come back. And let me think of what is her name? Cindy, Sandy Fisher, uh, Sandy. What the hell is that prosecutor's name? The former prosecutor, DOJ. She got herself in some trouble. Oh, uh, Sydney, Sydney, Sydney. Can anybody help me? Uh, damn it. Sydney Leathers? No, that was no. That's somebody else. Sydney, shoot, Sydney. Are you still there? Who the hell is it? I am here. Yeah, who is it? Sydney. I gave you half it of it. Is Sydney, and I cannot remember my. Isn't that so weird? Sydney, prosecutor, Trump, lawyer, uh, Powell, Sydney Powell. Phew. That's I was going to. Uh, yes. Yep, that's her. Yeah. Uh, all right. Thank you very much. Good points. I'll be right back. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hey, how about this, huh? How about this? Hunter Biden. Hunter Biden doesn't want to pay uh, for the child that he's responsible for. Hunter Biden. There's a four-year-old girl that I guess he um, hooked up with some, at the time, stripper. And she had a baby. That baby exists. Her name is Navy, I think. Navy is her name. Anyway, um, they're growing up. Uh, she's a uh, single mother is raising this young girl in Arkansas of all places. They're in Arkansas and Hunter doesn't really like paying child support and he wants to pay less, less money. He wants to pay less money. He's actually f- petitioning the court to pay less money in child support. Wow. Now, think about that. Our president, the president of the United States, has a grandchild that he will not acknowledge. He talks about his grandkids all the time. I've got six of them. No, you don't. You got seven. You got seven. Because you had a couple of children. One of them was Hunter. And then Hunter had a child named Navy, a girl. Hunter did not marry the mother. But that still means you are a grandfather to that baby. Huh? How about that? 
Where does he get off? Hey, and do the right thing. You guys are dripping in money. Dripping in money. $17 million he made the first two years after he left the vice presidency. $17 million. For what? That dopey book? No. Believe me, he did not sell $17 million worth of books, even with the advance. Absolutely not. No way. Oh, dirty, dirty guy. Dirty, dirty, dirty guy. We know it. And it goes right down to his personal conduct. Hey, yesterday when he was at the car show, I noticed something very weird. Again with this guy. He was holding hands with Gretchen Whitmer, the governor. Holding hands, like walking, like their boyfriend, girlfriend. You're not allowed to do that. And by the way, you weren't even allowed to do that before Me Too. You don't hold the hand of a girl who's not your wife and or steady romantic partner in any context, quite frankly. Any, unless you, or privately. But look at that, the arrogance of power. That's what he's got. He's arrogant. So arrogant. And now he's ruining the country. And I think in part because he has no choice. Because Susan Rice and Barack Obama want a socialist country. And he's going along with it. If he doesn't, catastrophic, catastrophic results for him. They could, this, and with this Department of Justice, if they are sicked on, they sick the DOJ on the Bidens, right now they're safe. DOJ is going after Trump. And anybody who's ever associated with Trump. And Mike Lindell. I really like Mike Lindell. How about this for spirit? Did you see the other day when he, uh, you know, the, the FBI took his phone and he got to his office and he went right on. So they, they gave him a warning. Do not talk about this publicly. I think they said, you know, we strongly urge you not to talk about it publicly. Mike Lindell cut 31. The pillow guy cut 31. The FBI came after me and took my phone. They surrounded me at a Hardee's and uh, took my phone that I run all my business, everything with. And they told me not to tell anybody. Here's an order not to, don't tell anybody. Okay, I won't. <laughs> but I am. Ah, I love Mike Lindell. Free country. If you want to investigate the election, you can. He's, he's got the money to do so. Hassling him. The FBI. Friends of Biden Incorporated. The FBI has always been lousy. I'm sorry. It's true. They screw up just about everything they touch. And they tried to drive a hero to commit suicide. Martin Luther King, they blackmailed him. Did you know that? They blackmailed Martin Luther King. We now have a day celebrating Martin Luther King. You know what? I think it's actually a pretty good day. The left, they don't like Martin Luther King anymore. They think that message of his, you know, that his children, the big dream, that they would be judged on the content of their character and not the color of their skin, that's so lame. That's so done. They want to be judged by the color. They want to judge white people by the color of their skin. And the judgment is a negative one. It's crazy. Good people of all races don't agree with this nonsense, but it's it's like a cancer. It's growing, and it's growing exponentially. Give me a moment. Greg Kelly, entertaining and informative on the Red Apple Podcast Network. So I'm not a big uh, sports guy, 
I really snapped out of it in like 1980, 81, when my my hero Chris Chambliss, I found out he was a jerk to a fan, and I just kind of what else happened? I, uh, I, I I my father found me crying after the Yankees lost in extra innings to the Red Sox, and I was like 12 or 13. And a little bit too old for, and he kind of gave me this very stern talking to, and it worked. That these guys are just a bunch of millionaires and they don't care about your problems. What the hell would you? And it was like, you're right. Oh my goodness. And Jerry Seinfeld once said famously, when you're rooting for a team, you're basically just rooting for the clothes, you know? So, like, (laughs) these guys, they come and go. Who cares? They don't care about us. And now it's become ridiculously expensive, and I just have no, uh, no interest, but but this is a story that I am going to uh, go a little deeper into. You know the Phoenix Suns. It's a basketball team, right? I remember a couple of uh, when was it? Uh, when did this actually first happen? A couple of months ago, the Phoenix Suns owner was accused of a bunch of uh, workplace abnormalities, including, I guess, pantsing someone. I remember ESPN reported this, and they spent a couple of paragraphs detailing how this guy had uh, pantsed people. I'm like, what the hell is pantsed? They, were, they, they said it like everybody understood what it means. And he pulled down somebody's pants on the, go- on the basketball court. That's what pants mean. But he pulled down the pants of a, the team mascot. It just didn't seem like that big a deal to me, but uh, I wasn't the one pantsed. But. Beyond that, it's uh, ESPN says allegations of racism and misogyny within the Phoenix Suns inside Robert Sarver's 17-year tenure as owner. On the evening of October 30th, 2016, at Talking Stick Restaurant Arena in downtown Phoenix, Earl Watson, in just his third game as the Suns head coach, faced a tall task, beat the powerhouse Golden State Warriors. The young Phoenix Suns team had been toiling at the bottom of the NBA standings for years, missing the playoffs for eight straight seasons, uh, blah, 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 blah. Watson was the fourth coach in many years. Uh, wait, wait, still, still, the Suns were playing the eventual. Where does it get to the stuff that he did wrong? You know, why does Draymond Green get to run up the court and say N-word? Sarver, who is white, allegedly said, repeating the N-word several times in a row. You can't say that, Watson, who is black and Hispanic, told Sauver. Why? Draymond Green says the N-word all the time. You can't effing say that, Watson said again. The anecdote offers a glimpse into conduct that sources told ESPN Sauver has often exhibited since he buying the Suns in 2004. Interviews with more than 70 former employees and current employees of the Suns throughout Sauver's 17-year career described a toxic and sometimes hostile workplace under Sarver. Now, that's the, you usually lead with the most offensive thing, right? The most significant thing that happened. And he's complaining about one of his players on the court using the N-word. And he says the N-word. Now, I'm sorry, but walking around New York City, I hear the N-word quite a bit. I don't feel any need, and there is no desire on my part to say the N-word. But... (laughs) Um, if a white person complains about the N-word and makes the mistake of not saying N-word but uses the N-word, is that the worst thing that ever happened? Apparently in uh, the NBA history, what a bunch of phonies it is. This guy has just been fined 10 
million. Sarver, he's the owner of the team. Silver is the commissioner of the NBA. And he's now making their findings you know, known and a $10 million fine. He's going to be suspended for a year. Cut 22. This is the NBA commissioner, some guy named Adam Silver. There are particular rights here of someone who owns an NBA team as, to some, as opposed to somebody who is an employee. I, I, the equivalent of a $10 million fine and a one-year suspension, I don't know how to measure that against a job. But I have certain authority by virtue of this organization, and that's what I exercised. Um, I don't have the right to take away his team. I don't want to rest on that neat legal point because, of course, there could be a process to take away someone's team in this league. It's very involved. And I ultimately made the decision that it didn't rise to that level. All right, so he's defending himself for not being – basically the guy can't be involved with basketball for a year and $10 million fine, and that's not enough? They want to take the team from the guy? That's what the mob wants. That's what LeBron James wants. Cut 23. To me, the consequences are severe here on Mr. Sarver. Reputationally, it's hard to even make those comparisons to somebody who commits an inappropriate act in the workplace in somewhat of an anonymous fashion versus what is a a huge public issue now around this person. So there's no neat answer here. I mean, it's other other than owning property, the rights that come with with owning an NBA team, um, you know, how that's set up within our Constitution, um, what it would take to remove that team, you know, from his control is a very involved process, and it's different than holding a job. It just is when, when, when you actually um, own a, a team. He said the N-word while he was decrying the N-word, complaining about a player in public, in uniform, on the court, using the N-word. In private, he told the coach, I don't like that guy saying the N-word. Although he said the N-word, you know, he, he used the actual word. Let's see here. Sarver denied using racially insensitive language. I've called, I've never called anyone or any group of people the N-word or referred to anyone or any group of people by the N-word, either verbally or in writing. I don't use that word. It is abhorrent and ugly and denigrating and against everything I believe in. Sarver did acknowledge using the word once many years ago. On one occasion, a player used the N-word to describe the importance of having each other's back. Sarver said through his attorneys, I responded by saying, I wouldn't say N-word. I would say that we're in the foxhole together. An assistant coach approached me a short time after and told me that I shouldn't say the word, even if I were quoting someone else. I immediately apologized and haven't said it ever again. The N-word has never been part of my vocabulary. Uh, But LeBron wants this team taken from him, which he bought, which is his own property. Now, the commissioner... Well, you, you heard him. He's a one-year suspension, $10 million fine. I think he's trying to, uh, let's see what happens next. Cut 24. I was in disbelief to a certain extent about what I learned that had transpired over the last 18 years in the Suns organization. Um, I was saddened by it, disheartened. Um, I, I want to, again, apologize to the former, in some cases, current employees 
of the Phoenix Suns for what they had to experience. There's absolutely no excuse for it. Um, and we addressed it. Um, and, you know, I, I understand, I of course, have been following what's been said um, since we issued, you know, that, that, those findings. You know, let me reiterate, um, the conduct is indefensible, um, but I feel we dealt with it in a fair manner in, in both taking into account um, the totality of the circumstances, not just those particular allegations, but the 18 years in which Mr. Sarver has owned the Suns and the Mercury. Let me ask you something. Did Mr. Sarver get in his car drunk and drive over uh, 50 kindergarten students and kill them? No, he didn't. Uh, did he physically assault someone? No. Did he take out a gun from his desk drawer and start threatening people? No. He was quoting somebody who used the N-word. A word, by the way, that LeBron James uses as a punctuation mark. Listen to a couple of NBA players. Sit around them for about, I don't know, 90 seconds. You might hear the N-word 95 times. <laughs> well, doesn't he sound like he's revealing the results of the Warren Commission? Adam, Adam Silver? All right, now who's this? Richard Jefferson. Who do we know? You're the, who's, who's Richard Jefferson? He's a former NBA player and he's now a commentator on ESPN. Hmm. Is he a good guy or a, is, he, is he woke? Yeah, he's all right. I like him. Richard Jefferson. Former NBA player, now com- now commentator on ESPN. Correct. And Kevin likes him, but he's not passionate about it. Cut 25. He was literally doing every single thing in an HR meeting that you do not do. And he was the head of this organization. So I don't believe that the NBA could do more than what they did, even putting it to a vote, because owners don't want all of their stuff exposed. If you have achieved billions of dollars and you own NBA teams, if people start digging in your closets, they might find stuff. So I think to get that 75% vote was going to be very difficult. So they looked at it and said, this is the most that we can do. Okay, 75% uh, of the owners voting him out or voting to take away his franchise. You know, are we going to live our lives the way uh, we would live them sitting in the HR office, right? Is that, is, that what it, is that the kind of country we want, right? HR, human resources. <sighs> human resources. There are some good people who work in human resources, okay? There are some good people. But there are some power-hungry, weirdo bureaucrats who have always gravitated to that field. No doubt about it. And now they think they have more leverage than ever before because there is this weird, esoteric, arcane, woke nonsense. And they're going to be the referees as to what's good and what's not. And oh, by the way, I'm just guessing. I have This is all audio, by the way. I have no idea. Well, I guess I do. Sarver happens to be a Caucasian male, right? So he's got basically two strikes against him just walking into the door at HR, especially, by the way, here in New York State. In New York State, you are not considered a protected class. Everybody's a protected class, basically. If you're a woman, if you're, uh, if you're, if you're black, if you're Asian, if you're Hispanic, if you're transgender, if you're lesbian, if you're gay, if you're bisexual, if you're indigenous, if you're this, if you're that. 
The only person who has no protection whatsoever when it comes to employment is a white male. Who I, I've been hearing this a lot. A lot of white males are out there trying to be cool and fashionable and hip and trying to say, well, I'm just a white guy. What do I know? <laughs> right? That does, doesn't that feel good? Doesn't that feel good when you say that, right? You, looks, you are so secure in your power and your status that you can look at your skin. You know what? Not everybody. We can't all do that. Some of us still have some life left, some, uh, <laughs> some mountains we'd like to climb. And we don't want our skin used against us and our genitals used against us. Man, this – and a lot of good people are going along with it. Just keep your head down. Not worth it. Not worth it. I think it's worth it, don't you? I think freedom, I think liberty is worth it. Hmm? You got Fox News running scared. I'll be right back. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. I saw such a sad sight. This poor woman. Her name is, uh, mm, what the hell's her name? Uh, her friend's name is Annie. But what happened was she has a uh, young mother. She has a 12-year-old son. The son has some, I guess, learning issues and some behavioral issues. And this woman, who's been through quite a few struggles, wanted to, you know, instill some discipline and order in the home. And the kid had misbehaved in some way, and she wanted to take his cell phone for a period of time. You know, you can't have the phone tonight. You know, get off the phone. Now, if these reports are accurate, what the kid proceeds to do is destroy the home. 12-year-old kid destroys this house. I mean, destroys everything. It's like he took a baseball bat and broke everything. The TVs, the furniture, the toilet. The toilet is broken in half. The sink has been ripped from the wall. Everything. And all I hear, I watched the video last night. It's about maybe two minutes long. And I hear this mother. She's walking through the house and she's, well, she's crying as she's, documenting the damage and it is one of the most disturbing heartbreaking things i've ever seen i just the damage there are two reasons two things that really get to me number one her pain you hear her gentle crying and then i think about the goodness of her the intent the intent to take that phone from the kid was a good impulse the phone can be dangerous, and it can get in the way of life, and she was trying to do something good. I also think that that kid's only 12 years old. That means he was born in 2010, and she raised that baby, gave birth to that baby, cared for that baby, and then this baby does this. Oh, gosh. And then you see the, the rage, the horrible rage in this young man. Kid breaks, breaks a home. Let me see here. Uh, and let me see if my... Okay, good. I just... If you want to f see what this is all about, I just put a link to it on my... Uh, in, what the hell is it called again? My Twitter. At Greg Kelly USA. At Greg Kelly USA. There's got to be at least, I don't know, fifty to $60,000 worth of damage. It's It's insane. 
and a 12-year-old kid did this. So, you know, quite frankly, more than ever, I've been urging folks to give money. I'm doing the same thing uh, to Zeldin, to your candidate of choice, whatever. Small donations are best. But I put a link up to this. It's a GoFundMe. And I have already, not that much, all my expenses, I got to go through the wife first. <laughs> I just, it's a marriage is a beautiful institution. Although who wants to live in an institution? <laughs> just kidding. I got that joke from the crown, by the way. Prince Philip used to make it all the time. And he was married to the queen, but he would make that joke. Um, Marriage is a wonderful thing, and it's actually great that I would. You know why? Actually, you know, I I I got to get these things approved by my wife. Well, it probably wouldn't happen if it wasn't for my wife. You know, uh, while I was single, I had a lot of good intentions, but I didn't have the bandwidth to get a hell of a lot done. And now I can get. I, I find I can get a lot more things done. That's that's one of the many, 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 many uh, beautiful things about uh, being married. Being married, at least to uh, to my wife. All right, let's see what you guys have to say. Uh, Eric in Jersey. Yes, sir. Hello? Hello? Never mind. Lou in Queens. How are you? Greg, second time I've gotten to talk to you. Thank you so much. Uh, I'd like to bring up a few things. Uh, First of all, uh, Biden's uh, speech is nothing new for the Democrats for the last 20 years. They've used uh, race, gender, and class actually to divide us, not to unite us, and to get votes. And then right now, as far as the present-day economy goes, when people go to the polls, let's remember, we have a high-inflation economy. Everybody's IRAs and savings are down over 15 percent. We have a double-digit crime wave in our major cities. We have had brought in one million illegal aliens. By the way, besides feeding and clothing them, how many of them have serious pre-existing medical conditions? Think about how much that's going to cost. And we have an administration that has been reluctant to give Ukraine long-range weapons that they need and, and to label them a terrorist state, which they are after hearing about all the atrocities we've been hearing in the Ukraine. This is like what the Nazis did in the 1940s. Yeah, I know. All right, Lou. Well, not there. I know. Well, tell me about yourself. What do you do? Uh, I'm retired now. I'm an old guy. What did you do when you were working? I used to be in your business. I was a, uh, I was a production manager at one of the three major networks. Uh, what does that mean exactly? A production manager, like day day in and day out. What what did what what what, what did the, your job look like? Well, uh, uh, well, let's put it this way: if if you go on a remote, you're the guy that brings the circus in town. So you have to get the trucks, you have to uh, get the techs, you have to get the hotels, you have to do the meals because basically, uh, you know, when you do, let's say, a car race, people can't leave the remote. So they have to stay there and you have to feed them, of course. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of work. Uh, there's a lot of confusion about who should have been in what hotel at what time. <laughs> and you have to uh, and you also have to think about security and dealing with the police department and uh, all the uh, you know people. In fact, the U.S. Open is probably the most difficult remote of all. And I did three of them. <laughs> logistics, a lot of logistics. Or you can do it like I used to do it sometimes. Just show up with the camera, go a little bit gorilla, and see what happens. They're doing more and more of that. But I know what you mean. I know what it's like to come with that whole 
you know, kit and caboodle road show and the big trucks and the van and this and that. Uh, great stuff. Anyway, Lou, thank you very much. Good points indeed. Let's do one more. Bill, Bill, ooh, in Garden City. What's up? Hey, Greg, how you doing? Good. Good, good. Hey, uh, I met you back in the day in 1981, I think, when you moved to Garden City. I, you had lunch with me, and I, we had lunch with you. He took you away from the Destructos. <laughs> what are you talking about? Back in, back in the day. 1981, uh, no, I didn't have lunch with you. Yeah, you were, you were, down, you were uh, a sophomore, I believe, at the time. No, I certainly was not a sophomore. I was in sixth grade. I was sixth grade. All right, wait, Bill, I want to find out about this. Give me a moment. Kelly, entertaining and informative on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Did you know Blue Bloods is still on TV? Blue Bloods. Should I watch that show? My mom likes it. I only saw one episode. I didn't like it. Tom Selleck, a good guy, but he's the police commissioner and he wears a uniform, which the real police commissioner doesn't do. They got too many little details wrong, so I didn't like it, but I understand it's still in production. Good for them. Uh, oh, here's Eric Adams. You want to know why we have a big crime problem in New York City? Did you see the armed robbery that happened in broad daylight in the Bronx? bunch of guys jump out of We didn't have this during the day. These organized hits of a, of a candy store. What can you get in the candy store? Well, apparently these guys got 3000 bucks and everybody's phone in the joint. I thought it wasn't worth it to steal somebody's phone because it locks, but apparently they can they can get through that and sell the phone and make all kinds of money. So one of the big problems we have right now is a totally, totally ignorant mayor does not know anything. And just a quick reminder, okay, this is the uh, the guy who sold himself as a uh, law enforcement expert, right? His career in law enforcement and uh, tough on crime. All right, he gets he he becomes mayor. This is in January. All right, and crime is still going through the roof. All kinds of you know, cops had just been shot to death. And, uh, well, what are you going to do, Eric Adams? Listen to his answer. Listen to how it's very, very Kamala-esque, Kamala Harris-like answer. Cut 40, let me see here. Cut 42, please. What concrete steps are you taking to keep your promise and make New York City safer? And, and you know, it's important what you just laid out, uh, three weeks into our administration, uh, analyzing all of the tools and resources that we have. Um, I'm going to roll out a real plan this week when I speak to the New York public. Uh, and we're going to go after the underlying reasons you are seeing crime in our city. Uh, this is a sea of crime that's being fed by many rivers. And we have to dam each one of How How deep is that, huh? <laughs> you know what I mean by Kamala Harris, the root causes? It would damn many rivers, and we are going to analyze that. Analyze what? Start arresting people. Use the forces you have. You've got a lot. He doesn't know what to do with him. And also, by the way, his not being a lawyer. You know, Ray Kelly, great police commissioner, longest-serving police commissioner ever. Uh, one of the many things he had going for him, a lawyer. Two law degrees, by the way. Uh, one from St. John's, one from NYU. Highly educated but had a lot of practical experience. What did Eric have? <laughs> I don't know. Right now he has a, a nice jacket that he wore to Fashion Night Out or Fashion Week or whatever they call it, sitting around with Anna Wintour. I did that Fashion Week stuff when I was a child. All right? You get it out of your system when you're 31. All right? And then you get to work. 
Wow, he cannot believe he's getting invited to all these dopey parties. They are just that dopey. And one more guy, James Comey. Never forget the FBI. This guy presided over the FBI. The FBI is still fundamentally corrupt. I'm sorry. They have been for a long time. Big problems there. Friends of Biden Incorporated. So James Comey knows, he knows that that Steele dossier was a great big fraud. All right. Now, he colluded. The FBI colluded with the Russians on it, with the, with the what was that guy's name? Christopher Steele, right? They, they put in all this crap. He knew it was crap, but he brings it to the president-elect of the United States anyway so he can then say, I gave this to the president, therefore it's, it's, it's newsworthy. It's, it's something that we can leak and try to sabotage him. He should be arrested right now. This is James Comey bragging about it with some dweeb from the New Yorker magazine, Cut 43. I spoke about prostitutes in Moscow. I didn't go into the rest of that. I was uncomfortable enough. Were you nervous re- going into that meeting? Yes. Yeah, I was. Stop. I was. A- you know why he was nervous going into the meeting? <laughs> he should have been. He was about to lie to the president-elect of the United States. He was about to commit all kinds of crimes. Absolutely. This guy is a criminal. Comey. Give me the rest. He implicates himself, the big mouth. Didn't talk about prostitutes in Moscow. Yeah. And, and so it was a bit of an out-of-body experience for me, honestly. Us and, too. Uh, yeah. And so I didn't go into the, that other detail. I figured that that was notice enough. And he reacted, as I recount in the book, very defensively and interrupted me and said, do I look like a guy who needs the services of prostitutes? As I say in the book, I assume that was a rhetorical question, and so I didn't, I didn't did, answer Did it. you, just for the record, did you answer that? No, because I assumed it was rhetorical. You just let it go. Yeah. And so then Good he call. went on and, and was defensive, and I explained that I wasn't saying we believe this. I just explained that we felt duty-bound to alert him to this. You felt duty-bound. Interesting. Jim Comey talking about duty. Wow. Our poor president, Donald Trump, they were out to get it from day one, and they almost did it. They're still trying. They won't win. Hey, Bill, now what's this about lunch? Oh, yeah, Bill King, from. I grew up on Cedar Place, and when you moved into Third Street. Yeah, I know. We talked about this before. I don't know if uh, if it all checks out, to be honest. We certainly didn't have lunch in 1981. I mean— you realize 1981 is 41 years ago. You could be getting the story, you know, mixed up. No, I, I, yeah, I know, I know, I know. I, well, 41 years, yeah, you're right. Yeah. All right, no, so what's I, up? Okay. Uh, anyway, it's nice to talk to you again. And by the way, your mother was very nice. She was the nurse at the time, but um, oh, at the high school. But anyway, I'm really concerned about this uh, uh, mail-in ballots that are happening uh, right now in different states. And uh, very concerned about the legitimacy of it uh, because of what I felt was happened in the, in the other the other election. But um, these guys aren't even being able to debate each other until later, like in, in Pennsylvania. What, what in the world is said that they – what is it going to have if, if they have all these fake or any – like thousands and thousands of ballots? Yeah, look, and man, just- it's a real, real, genuine, valid concern you have. I have it as well. Yeah, there are forces that are fighting back. Uh, this crazy new permissive uh, mail-in voting thing in Delaware, 
was just overturned, ruled unconstitutional by a judge there. They just passed it. Look, there is mail-in balloting. It can be done. It has been done. It takes a long time to set up if you're going to do it right. But these guys just jumped through all kinds of – they didn't even jump through the hoops. They just did it, especially in Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Arizona. I hear Kathy Hochul may even been be mailing out ballots to voters directly from the candidate. I don't know if you saw that story. This is not supposed to be happening. They are trying to rig elections. I do believe that. Absolutely. And too many people are keeping their heads down. You know what? Sometimes I wish I went to law school. Hey, Bill, what do you do? Other than, uh, well, what do you do? Actually, I I, uh, roll over uh, retirement plans. Actually, I I had a a partner. We did it for the NYPD. It was very nice. But uh, I'll tell you, I hate to say it, but the way this economy is in this administration, I'm making money because I'm rolling everything into fixed annuities instead of – it means petrified of the market. So like, terrible to say, but it, it, I love what I do. Fixed annuities, that's the place to put our money? Well, I, I, I would say yes, because that's what I do. But it's all guaranteed principal and guaranteed gains on certain things. So, you know, it's no chance of losing anything. I mean, people spend their lives um, putting money away, and they can lose it in hell. I mean, the market, look what happened the other day. All right, thank you. Hey, by the way, uh, before, I want to be clear, I was bad-mouthing uh, Eric Adams. Apparently, uh, I, I mentioned Carrick at one point. Uh, I, no, I love Carrick. I think Carrick is fantastic, and I think he's a hero, and I consider him a friend. That was just a, uh, you know, sometimes my mind moves off in mysterious directions, but Bernie Carrick is a friend and uh, was a solid commissioner and uh no beef with him whatsoever. As a matter of fact, we should have him on the show uh, very soon. All right, thanks, Bill. Let's try uh, Phil in Brooklyn. Yes, Phil. Hello. Uh, yesterday you mentioned something about uh, Bush being bad. Yes. The one most egregious thing about him, he sent our soldiers to Iraq without honoring all the vehicles. He's responsible for all of those quadriplegics and our great soldiers that lost their arms, their sight. Uh, yes, I do agree with you. Absolutely. Um, these guys who never saw combat, they always think that it's they can have surgical strikes and we will cleanly get to Baghdad and we will remove the leader and the country will fall and all this crap that some PowerPoint they sold to Paul Wolfowitz. They don't know what they're doing. They never did. They never do. And George W. Bush, yeah, he's got a lot to apologize for. Although I, I notice he doesn't seem to have a care in the world, just painting those silly paintings in his basement and, uh, you know, uh, get it going on the Today Show every now and then. You know what he's got going for him? You know why the mainstream media have embraced him all over again? Because he doesn't like Trump. And that forgives all sins, apparently. Dick Cheney. Dick Cheney was the most reviled person, and rightfully so, in America for a... Uh, for about four years or so, and then he got on the anti-Trump bandwagon. But, uh, yeah, we had all kinds of problems there. The, the, oh, geez. It, it, it really, and that's one of the reasons why I like this guy, um, Alex Stein. Did you see it? It's all over uh, social media. Alex Stein, confer- you know, we have not had answers regarding these horrific wars that we essentially lost, Iraq and Afghanistan. Now, who fought them? Not members of Congress, not the swamp, working class people, the working class and the poor fought those wars. And the only guy, quite frankly, who's upset about it, Phil, you know, a handful of people, you, me, uh, Alex Stein, 
Yeah, I, I, I often don't agree with Michael Moore, but Michael Moore has actually been pretty good on the war. Where's this Alex Stein thing again? I want to play it. It's th- th- Alex Stein. Find him on Twitter. Alex Stein 99. Can you play the... Yeah, go ahead. You are the more, he cares more about Ukraine than he does about America. So you're a globalist. Why don't you take care of America? You don't care. That's your problem, Dan. You don't care about America. You don't care about Texas. Look at our. Do you think there's an invasion? Is there an invasion on our border right now? Is there an invasion on our border right now? Maybe you should go back. I still am a comedian. Is there an invasion on our border? Will you admit that there's an invasion on our border? But you won't do anything about it. But why do you give 80 billion to Ukraine? Why do you give 80 billion to Ukraine? Uh, I think you're getting the numbers wrong there, buddy. Oh, what are we at? A hundred billion now? No, it's not even close. What, oh, what are we up to now, Dan? And they even say none of those weapons even go to the front lines. So why don't you start caring about America? You don't care about America at all, Dan. You're a globalist. You're a traitor. You're a dwarf. There's Dan Coons. Come on. Come on, Dan. Modern day version of the people. Oh, I'm the piece. You're the one that's a globalist. You're killing young children for no reason, sending them to war for nothing. Wow. There's a lot of truth coming from Alex Stein. I'm sorry. I wouldn't call Dan Crenshaw a traitor, but uh, that's a little much. But you wonder, these guys get to the swamp, and then they just become one of them. They defend the system. The system is supposed to work for us. Too often, we work for the system. It sounds very simplistic. It's just not supposed to be this way. Look at the Constitution. They did not envision this huge governing class that we have now. Um, Alex Stein. Where did this guy come from? Very creative, very interesting, very funny. I loved it when he confronted, what's her name, uh, AOC. Oh, look at that big Latina booty. I know you're not supposed to talk like that, but it was kind of funny. It was. And it was the funniest thing was he's kind of saying all this crazy stuff, which I know you're not supposed to say, but uh, look. And then her boyfriend slash fiance is walking a dog and going up the stairs like he's just totally oblivious to this this crazy guy yelling all this stuff. Uh, I loved it. All right. Thank you, Phil. Let's try Brian in Staten Island. He's been on the phone for a while. What's up? Hey, how are you? Hey, I want to commend you. You've done a good job on the congestion pricing. But, you know, that's a man-made problem. They took, you know, with the bus lanes, they took away the parking spaces for the bikes, and they changed all the routes and lanes where there was two lanes now is one and now so because of all those stupid changes that they made it's congestion and so once you start charging people they're going to find another route and where are they going to go they're going to go on the bqe where it's already stressed out where they've changed lanes where there was three lanes they've gone it down to two and the reason is they have a war on automobiles in this city and they the intellectually challenged DOT is doing this to us, and we're falling prey to this. We're being led around and allowed to be charged this. It's not right. It's not right. Well, we're not I mean, I mean, being led around. We're fighting it. We're pushing back. You're right, though. It's not right. Hey, look, Zeldin may win this election. Zeldin may win. And will he help us undo this congestion pricing? You're right about, by the way. There's like no lanes for a car. There's a bike lane. There's a dog lane. There's a fire lane. There's no lane for the car, practically. And you're right. These streets that are supposed to be basically three-lane streets are one-lane streets. Uh, And I would, hey, would it kill any of you bike riders to stop at a red light? Uh, Thank you. All right. So, uh, 
Yeah, Brian. Hey, you will live on Staten Island. Uh, what's the bridge? How much does the bridge cost these days? Well, it, I get a special rate because the Staten Island residents, none of the money goes to Staten Island. It goes to Long Island Railroad. So they've cut a deal for all the Staten yeah, Island Yeah, I know. Residents. All right. So what does it cost for me as a non-Staten Island guy? And let's pretend I don't have Easy Pass. So what? how much would it cost? I think it's $18. That's really crazy, huh? That's really crazy for yeah. a bridge that was made in 1964. Wow. What? In sales, I spend 350 to $400 a month in Easy Pass. And if you think that that's right, we are in a it's, – it's just too much to do business in this city. It's getting that way. It's getting that way. And also, just getting in your car, that's another bill you have to pay. That's another thing you have to set up, another account. You know, all it's just it's a me- it's too messy. It's messy. Every time I open my email, it's just a mess. All these little tentacles into my life, the easy pass and stuff like that. All right. Thanks, Brian. We'll see what happens. I'll be right back. Greg Kelly, Greg Kelly. on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hey, the Pentagon has a diversity, equity, and inclusion officer. Boy, they really are intent on ruining that place and a good chunk of corporate America as well. Diversity, equity, and inclusion. They are very pleasant-sounding words, but when you focus on that, not on the bottom line, uh, you get some crazy stuff. Did you see what's going on at Goldman Sachs, by the way? Goldman Sachs. First of all, they have this guy uh, who runs the place. His name is Solomon. He wants to basically be a 16-year-old boy and DJ his friend's birthday party. He is the CEO of Goldman Sachs, and he runs around with those silly, you know, pretend the, what, the records. I guess DJing is all digital now, so I don't even know how they do it. But he calls himself DJ Son, and he goes to all these uh, parties in the Hamptons, and there's this 55-year-old guy, you know, spinning records. It's so stupid. Uh, but he's. it seems like he's more interested in his brand, which I think is the worst word in the world these days, your brand. Everybody's thinking about the brand. Does anybody know what the brand actually was, right, back in the back in the 1800s, the brand? The brand was that thing that they put on the cow. They would first, they'd take the metal with a certain logo on it, and they put it in the, in the fire, right, and they put it on the side of the cow, right, something along those lines. They'd brand the cow. They brand something, right? So you knew where it came from. Um, but the first thing that they had to do was get the cow and give it enough food and water and grass and hay and, you know, make sure the barn was all good and give that cow a home and make sure the cow was healthy and, and, and had lots of meat. All right? You got to take care. Now nobody cares about that part. That's hard work. That takes a long time all anybody wants to do is screw around with their brand. Ooh, my brand. This will be great for my brand. Goldman Sachs's brand better be making money for everybody, all their clients. But now they're 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 taking their eye off the ball. Interesting story in the New York Post. Oh, and of course, who's their new hotshot uh, investment banking head? A woman of color. Oh, yes, indeed. Yes. And she's very attractive. And I get it to a point. I mean, maybe she's very good at what she does. Something tells me it's more show than go, but who knows? My my thinking, though, is this, and a lot of this comes from men. You know, men get tired of looking at other men. They do. They want women around. It just kind of lightens the mood, and they just you know, men become very bored with each other. And, and they're also very wary of each other. 
and they want these hot chicks around. I notice, I've seen this actually, there's all kinds of mentoring going on between young women and older men, right? Oh, yes, I need, oh, I was just mentoring her. Oh, really? I'm sure you were, and yes, that happens. But there's something about it, the dynamic, that makes it kind of more interesting and more perhaps socially acceptable. I mean, otherwise somebody might think you're gay, right? And that, that for a long time that was the worst thing in the world. Now, by the way, if you're gay, it probably would help your career, whatever. But my beef is that men don't look out for other men, and there's not enough fellowship in the world. Just not enough fellowship, okay? I'm guilty of this myself. I'm always running in a million different directions and and what? You know, everyone's worried about their own lot in life, but we got to take time for people. Mm -hmm. All right? All right. So I got to go across the street, get ready for the other show. Uh, and with that, uh, you none of you have been on hold for that long. I don't think. All right, I'll take one call. Uh, Gail in Staten Island, welcome back. Afternoon, Greg. You know, the other day I was watching that signing. I didn't watch it originally. The um, Abduction Oblation Act with Manchin and Schumer. And if you look at this scene, he's almost childlike with uh, Schumer hovering over him. He looks down at him, and then he looks into the eyes of Joe Manchin, and he hands him the pen. Yeah, somebody told me about that. I looked at it again. You're right. Very, very, like like a baby. Like a little, like, sorry, but a special needs child. It's just something, you know, there's something very lost and kind of babyish about him. What are you going to do and about that? You, well, I was looking at Schumer, and he's he's almost socially maladjusted. He has no people skills. I'm wondering if he's going to debate, to dare to debate um, Joe Pinion, because he can't do it. I don't think he could answer a question. Uh, it's a good, you know, I've seen him lose his temper. He can, he really, he snaps. He's a nasty guy. And that could happen. Uh, Joe Pinion, we've been wishing him uh, the best. Yeah, don't forget Joe Pinion. He's running a major uphill fight, in part because Wall Street has been hooking up uh, Schumer for a long time, and, and Schumer's been hooking up Wall Street. All right, listen, folks, I got to wrap it up. Thank you, Gail. Oh, shoot, I wanted to ask TJ that thing about intermittent fasting. Forgot about that. Sorry, TJ. All right, to be continued uh, tonight on the Newsmax show. Ooh, did you see I had Alan Dershowitz, of all people, on last night? He's got a new book, The Price of Integrity. This guy is prolific. Everything he writes is brilliant. Uh, I just downloaded the book. Thank you, Alan Dershowitz. Who else? How's Bernie and Sid doing? How's, uh, yeah, all good there? Good. Sid has a book. It's doing very well. Pleased to see that. Bernie, I hear, is on the mend. Excellent, excellent news. Uh, any gossip around here, uh, Kevin? Oh, all good. Lame. Lame. Come on. Who's dating who? I don't know. Who likes who? Beats me. <laughs> you can tell right there. Beats me. It doesn't beat him. He knows everything. He's more wired than anybody. Doesn't Not trust my department. Me. Doesn't trust me. You what? Your apartment? Not my department. Not your department. All right. Good night or good afternoon. I'll see you tomorrow.